want to ask you guys to uh, give, give, us, uh, give us grace. What happens as the seasons change, we try to figure out what day we should turn the heat on. I think we're one day late. So, um, but now we know. So next year, I mean, next, to next week, if that happens, y'all can um, start a revolt and take over. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll have the heat on next week, guys, but bear with me. Um, hopefully I'll keep you alert. Uh, we, are, we are right now in our church, right in the middle of our church series, uh, Ecclesiology. Again, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Leon has Bibles. Uh, as we are, are processing together, which has been, you guys have been so gracious, um, first being humble and saying, hey, you know, we, uh, we've never done a series like this. Um, uh, not just us, but like, like have church, churches usually don't do series like this. And I think everyone's had a real teachable posture. Uh, so I really appreciate that. And I pray we continue to have that um, as we continue to learn together what does it mean for us to be the church. Uh, and then hopefully we'll be applying these truths to our life. Um, that can just honor the Lord. Um, we've gone through uh, just looking at the history and processing how we got to where we are now. We've talked about the mission of the church, uh, the nature of the church. Uh, last week we talked about church government so we can have more of an understanding of what, of how we are structured and where we're trying to head for and toward in the future. And today we're talking about church membership. Uh, so um, hopefully, uh, the Lord will even help us understand what does it mean now you as individuals, what's your place? Uh, and so we're going to parse this out in different ways, and I'll kind of just lead us um, on this journey, and hopefully we'll um, be more encouraged. So let's go ahead and, uh, and get to work um, on what we will be discussing. I want to first start, um, as we talk about, one second, as we talk about church leadership, um, John Piper says it best, he talks about the um, he basically says that the church in itself is, is, God's, um, is God's grace to his people. And, and I say that because we're in a day and age where when we talk about church, um, it's, church membership is a hard discussion in this day and age because of the way the culture um, has moved toward basically a desire to be individualistic, okay? And so um, I think this, this discussion today, I think the discussion... Um, last week on church government, uh, which is really hard discussions uh, for a lot of us because of, of the culture that we swim in, uh, the sense that tells us, hey, you don't tell me what to do. I don't want anyone in charge of me. Uh, I want to do my own thing, and I don't want to be a part of something because how dare you think you can, you can kick me out of something? Like, that's, that's kind of bizarre toward uh, people in this day and age. So, so basically, I want to say that the framework of church and, and what the Bible teaches about our lives as covenant community people is basically goes against our culture and what, the, and what the world tells you and me how we should find our significance and who we are. Okay, so we're basically having a cultural clash um, as we are talking about what does it mean to talk about church government or what does it mean to be a church member. So I just wanted to, um, to just privy us to that, if you didn't get that, if you didn't understand that and haven't seen that yet, or if you found yourself kind of squirming in your seat as we talk about some of these things, right? So, so as we jump right in, just, feel, just remember that now when we start talking about church membership, you start going, wait a minute, just think about it. What does the culture tell us? What does the Bible tell us? And we want to move ourselves toward what the Bible tells us, okay? So let's start off with um, understanding some, some working definitions as we move forward, okay? Uh, the first definition I want to uh, talk through is uh, this, this, this piece of uh, covenant community, okay? Um, we, talk, we say a lot covenant community at MacAv and things of that sort. What I mean by that is assemblies uh, that covenant to be the church for each other, okay? So assemblies is a, is a really cool word for people, right? Peoples that say, hey, so we're going to be uh, the church for each other. So that's what, that's what we've done when we say we're going to be a covenant community in a 4214, okay? So what is a church member, right, in a covenant community? It's, it's someone who promises to be a local expression of people, uh, and I want to kind of process um, a local expression of people who are committed to some things. Uh, first, committed to trust Christ, trust Jesus, all right? So I'm saying, right, trying to give us these working definitions. Here's what it means to be a church member. A person who's committed to worship God. A person who's uh, committed to love, right? And we do that by exhorting one another, admonishing, holding each other accountable, okay? 
in ways that basically the New Testament command us. So, so we, we love each other. The way we love each other is actually by the whole admonishment piece, by exhorting each other, by moving a person in vision in Christ. We also are committed to hear the word of God um, preached, right? We want to hear the word of God preached. We desire that. We desire to apply the word of God to our life. Committed to, um, and we're committed to performing the ordinances, okay? So, so again, I mean, a uh, working definition of a church member would be someone who trusts Jesus. We work, you worship, um, worship God. You're, you're committed to love. You're committed to hear the word of God preached. Uh, committed to perform uh, Christ's ordinances. Now, why do we need covenant communities? Okay, why do we have covenant communities? I just want to give us a theological framework behind why we have covenant communities. We uh, covenant communities basically exist for, I would say, two primary reasons. First, we kind of retell the story of Jesus, right? So what he's done is he's he's forgiven us our sins, right? And he writes his law in our hearts. Um, and then what happens is we get to be basically our local expressions of, of that forgiveness, okay? And so you have the one global people, and then we get to be local expressions um, of that. Now, there's two kinds of, when we, when we retell the story of Jesus, there's two kinds, I would say, of, of membership that, that we're, we're fighting against. So there's, there's basically... Uh, worldly membership, and then there's kind of church membership, okay? Well, I would say there's one thing we're fighting against. So worldly membership basically says uh, that everything, whenever you're a membership of an organization, you're basically saying you either want something, right? You want to be a recipient of something, or you want to consume something. And I actually think this is what really gets us in trouble um, as a local church um, throughout, I think, the world. Is, is every time you're a part of something, think of anything you've been a part of, you're usually going into it like, what can I get out of it uh, and how can I consume, all right? Whereas what makes the covenant community very different than any other organization is actually the nature, the very essence of, 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 of ecclesia, of church community, is that you go to actually give. You go to not be a consumer, but to be a minister, to be a servant, Okay? So, so basically the essence of a person when you, and, and we, this happens a lot. So I'll go uh, and have lunch with people and, and, I, and I get it. This is our normal flow. So I'm not indicting anybody. This is just how we are. And when people see, see MacAv and they see what, we, what we're doing, uh, they say, man, I can't wait to be a part of MacAv because I'm going to get disciple and we think about all the things we're going to get. I'm going to be able to uh, have community, community around me. I'm going to have all this stuff. And, and that's all true, right? There's a lot that the church of God offers the people of God. But I want to propose to you, I always try to pause with that person and say, you know what? In that whole discussion, you never talked about what you're going to give. And if you're not starting with understanding that actually being the church starts with service, it starts with what you're going to give, not what you're going to get, it makes things really rough when you get into a body like this who the, our, our posture is about giving. Our posture is about service. You see how, that can, how you can rub against that? And so people come and they get disenchanted because they're like, wow, I'm serving way more than I thought I would. And people aren't serving me like I thought they would. You see that? And what's really happening there is, is God is actually purifying your flesh. He's, 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 he's killing your flesh because he's trying to help you and me get like, oh, that's okay. You can have those, those butterflies and feel bad and be upset. But what I'm trying to do is kill your flesh because your posture was selfish and I need you to be selfless. And I think that's a big issue in our local body because this is a body of servants. You guys are all servants. But when you come here and everybody's had that rite of passage, you come thinking you're going to get served. And you find yourself serving way more than you want. But I want to propose that's the posture of the church. Okay? So different kind of membership, unlike anything else. Everything else you think of is always what you're going to get. I want to debunk that and say church is about what you're going to give. And here's the thing, you get a lot, but what, what, what stars, what's the, what's the first posture, right? And who modeled that? Jesus. That's what he says. I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So you would think if Jesus' posture was that, why would our posture be different? 
right? All right. So just try, basically right now, just try to get working definition. Here's what it means to be a member. Um, here's why church community is important because here's what it does. Uh, what I want to do now is I want to kind of prove to us because here, here's the reality. Um, there is no, uh, basically, definition in the Bible or there's no scripture verse that I can go to to tell you uh, that we are supposed to be church members. All right? I give, I give up. I tell you that right now, okay? But what I want to propose to you, fam, MacAv, is that, is that the Bible actually just assumes um, that church membership is, is just what you do. The Bible assumes that, that pe- the people of God are, are gathering together in local expressions for the sake of their local community. It assumes that, all right? So let's look at some uh, assumptions based on the scriptures, uh, Matthew 18, for example, there's an assumption of church discipline, okay? So if you look at Matthew 18, verses 18 through 17, scriptures say, right, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, the assumptions there is that you have a definition of people who's the church. Because if not, if you don't have a defined group on where this is happening, then who are you telling this to, right? Who's the group deciding who gets to get kicked out? There's an assumption here just from the text that there was a group of people who all understood who was part of the family and who was not part of the family, and they knew who to put out if something was to happen. That's just, that's just an assumption. Is that fair? So there's also a, so there's assumption of church discipline, and I want to propose to you, you can't have these weighty matters of church discipline happening if you have not defined a group that would take up these sensitive issues, Right? Another assumption that maybe you guys are already saying, I get membership, but I want to make sure you see it biblically portrayed. There's an assumption of excommunication. 1 Corinthians 5, right? For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges the outside, purge the evil person from among you. If there is no clear membership, who... Why, who would be accountable to what part of the body? Like, like why, why would I be accountable to a group of people if there was no group of people? But obviously here, there's accountability and there's an assumption of excommunication if you're not pursuing Jesus, if you are walking in sin in that way, unrepentant sin. There's an assumption of submission by Christians to leaders and elders and pastors and scriptures. There's an assumption of that. You see that? Hebrews 13, 17. Look what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, the scriptures say. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see that? There seems to be an assumption that, that there is a group of people submitting to elders and leaders that assumes that there are elders and leaders who are leading a group of people. <laughs> I, just want us to, I, just want us to, I just want us to build a conviction that, okay, church membership, was, it was normal. It was assumed in the New Testament church, and I propose that's why there's not a lot of sentences about it. It was an absolute assumption because it was assumed that God's covenant people had locals' expressions of covenant community. Yes, this. A submission? We'll get there in a moment. You know I'm going there, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, guys, there's an assumption, okay, of the elders' care for the flock in the Scriptures. All right? We see that church membership has to be a reality because the elders were called to care for the flock. Look what the scriptures say. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, right? So 
how are leaders to know who their flock is? Right? Well, obviously because there was a defined measure. And then finally, the assumption of the body. This whole concept of 1 Corinthians 12, this whole pr- issue of, you know, the, the body of Christ, universal, but then he's talking about this particular body, if you're, if you're an arm, if you're an ear, this whole process. Like, it's hard to say, you know, it's unnatural if a Christian is attaching himself to a body of believers and not being a member of the body. That don't make any sense. Okay, guys? So that's kind of, maybe that's remedial. Hopefully that's encouraging. Okay, church membership matters. And I say that because we can kind of think church membership is rigid, right? I mean, we have a, a discipleship covenant. We have a mad group structure. We have all these things that people can get nervous when we have you sign something. But we're saying, no, we want to make a commitment. Church membership is important, right? All right. So here's a question, guys because it seemed like the, hopefully we're all in agreement there. What should members expect from one another? As a member of the church, what should you expect from each other? Okay, as we talk church membership. So we're members of this church. We realize church membership is important. It should happen. What should you expect from each other? Okay, first, obviously I just want to talk about the concept of love. All right, that we should be loving each other. Right? Uh, John 17, that's the, the great priestly prayer that Jesus says, that, that the world would know that, 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 that we're one because we're, we're loving each other and we're modeling that, that, that love of the Trinity, right? Here's another expectation, the more unpopular one, that we, we should be expecting from one another in this room that we're exhorting, all right? And there's, an, and there's, a, and there's a posture of us admonishing each other. Okay? Right, now exhortation is, is uh, an admonishment. The, the, the terms kind of uh, mean not just, we think of it like putting a person on blast all the time or, you know, making someone feel bad or like, you know, calling them out on stuff, right? But it's really, the, the, the whole posture of exhorting is to move a person toward the goal, is to, is, to, is to encourage them to be in a place they're supposed to be. It's actually a good thing. Right? Exhortation is an encouragement to do something. Right? And that's, and that's what we are to be expecting from each other. Look what the scriptures say. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Don't you long for that to be our body? Right? But we'll see people struggling. We'll come alongside them. And God will use us to help them become strong in Christ. You should expect accountability from each other. It's the reason why we, we've provided the framework that we have in our local body, all right? You should be having accountability. You should have individuals in your life who know who, know who you are, you know them, and they're calling you to vision in Christ. And, and, when you're, and when you're deciding in your flesh to not be about Jesus, we hold you accountable because this is what we, we're saying we're going to be about. Now, what makes, and this is just, what makes uh, the hard part about this is you have church membership. I'm saying that this happens when a person says, I'm committed to a body of people, and I'm uh, committing myself to this leadership, right? It's hard to say that I can expect this of you, and you can expect this of me if we're not committed to each other. And that's what happens. People don't want to be members. People don't want to be committed but then they want to pick and choose one of those. They want to pick and choose the intimacy components. Or they want the intimacy component, but they don't want to be committed. Right? So I even tell people, they say, well, what's the difference between being a church, church member and not being a church member? I would say, in its essence, a church member ascribes to these things. They say, I want to submit to this group of people and this leadership in these ways. And basically, in all intents of the word, the a person who's not a member doesn't do that. And so how does that change? How does that affect someone's journey? You know, because here's what, here's what happens. But then people expect the leadership and you to treat people who are not members. It's not that we don't love them and care for them, but with the same energy and the same passion as you do those in the body. And I'm saying you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to. You need to care for them as much as you can, 
But that's why God has said, hey, I want you to know these are your people. Does that make sense, guys? Caleb? Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, what, what Caleb is saying, this, you know, in antiquity and historically, um, the reason why you say people were willing to die for their faith for church membership because to identify with Christ, you know, in the first century and during those times, I mean, you were saying, okay, you're trying to overtake Caesar, right? You're saying Jesus is God, Caesar is not, and that can get you killed. And so people were willing to do that, to say I'm going to identify with a group of people, hold each other accountable, walk in light of these things that are kind of normative, right? As I'm sharing this, they're kind of normative in the New Testament. So accountability. Um, already said that. Okay, so that's what we are to expect from one another. And I want to propose that, that church membership is different than just coming to church. Okay? And I want to encourage you, I hope that even at the end of us discussing this, that, that every person, if you're not a member of a local church, you will become one. And if it's not here, that's okay. Go somewhere and be able to plug into a church and say, I am saying I'm committed to these people and this place so that we can be a local expression of Jesus to this area, whatever area it is. But I'm proposing that the scriptures make it an assumption that you don't just go around and just do church. It's an assumption. Because when you do that, then no one can hold you accountable. Do what you want to do, when you want to do it. You can dog who you want to dog, when you want to dog them. And it doesn't seem to be the New Testament expression at all, fam, right? All right, so now let me ask you this. What should members expect from their leaders? So what should you expect from your leadership, okay, as we talk church membership? I would say first you should expect um, bibliocentric teaching, Okay? It says in uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There's an assumption uh, that, that we are going to be teaching you the, the, the ways of Jesus, and we're going to be catechizing you, and you'll be growing your faith, hopefully under our teaching. So if it's, if it's not biblocentric, if you feel like it's, if, if you're in a church and you're like, man, well, I get teaching sometimes, that's, that's weird. You should be being taught the scriptures. If we fall in that way, you need to come and you need to hold us accountable. I'm telling you all this stuff right now so that after the day you can say, no, Eric, you say, number three, I expect this from you, so why aren't you doing it? You can do that. You should also be um, expecting protection. Look what Hebrews 13, 17 says, guys, again. Right? It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You see that? Keeping watch. Right, the whole, the whole, the whole perspective of like, I mean, in, in, in Hebrews 10, it talks about like this whole sense of, of, of watching over your souls as well. Uh, it's the sense of like protecting you against false doctrine, right, against ascension in the body, but being protectors, being watchmen over this local body. So that's what you are to expect of us, okay? So that means when we're doing that, don't, don't recoil <laughs> when we're trying to protect you, okay? Don't say, why are you always serious about doctrine? Because that's my role. My role is to make sure that you're under as, as much as we can on this side of heaven, under the purest teaching you can be under. And that we're living, and that we're living out the gospel, that we're living grace-motivated. That, that's, that's our role. The Lord has graciously given us that role. And we take it extremely serious, and we should. And so we, we, we desire to be, and we will be, very protective of you. And that's our posture. When the world makes it sound that we're rigid. It seems to me the stakes are high. Um, so we have teaching, protection, you know, another, another thing you need to expect from your leadership is godliness being modeled, right? That the, the people who are leading this local body and wherever you are or if you're in another church, if, if you can't say, man, you know, like, 
they're godly. I think that's a problem. Godliness should be modeled from your leaders, from this church, from the leadership in this church. Go to says in the scriptures. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You see that? Saying you should want to, to be like your leaders. You should want to say, man, I want to know the word like that. I want to, I want to experience humility like that. I, I, I want to walk with the Lord like that. You have teaching, protection, right? A, a motto, and sober and humble leadership. I say sober and humble. Look what it says in, in, in those verses there. I move on toward the second sentence. You see that? It says, actually, at the end of the, the first sentence, watching over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You see that? You see that, guys? Of those who have to give an account. This is a sober deal. One day, you know, Jesus is going to look at me and look at the other elders and people all around the world who are leading churches and say, hey, did you, did, you, did you affirm them in the Lord? Did you teach them grace? Did they understand the doctrines of grace? Did you model godliness to them? Did you model to have a heart for the poor? Did you model to, to reject greed? Right? The Lord's going to ask that. It says we're going to give an account for how we lead you. And so that means we should be extremely sober in our posture. When you, when you see that, you, you shouldn't be haughty as a leader. That, that should just trans, transfer toward humility. When you go, the sovereign king is one day going to look at what we're doing, and he's going to have us give an account, then I don't even get being an arrogant pastor or an elder. He's going to ask you, what did you teach, Eric? How did you live? Um, And finally, we have teaching, protection. You should expect godliness being modeled uh, to you. You should expect sober and humble leadership. Uh, But then you should uh, expect love and joy. Right? Look what he says at the end there, guys. You see that? It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And this is where, you know, he, he's saying, he's giving us implications here. I mean, the whole sense is like that our, our loving you depends on our delighting in the ministry, right? His whole point there is, man, it's only good for you to not make this hard on us because it's going to jack you all up. But the implication there is that, is that a, a leader... Posture, as we looked at some of these verses, should have one of love, right, and tenderness, and just protection over, over a flock, and and that we should be doing it with joy. We should be modeling joy to you, not begrudgingly, but it should be joyous, right. You should actually sense that we actually love you and like you, right. I'm serious, you know what I'm saying? If you're, if you're, if you're not feeling like, man, does, man, does the pastor like us? That's not good. Right? Now, don't get it twisted. I mean, God has made me a, a prophet for you guys, so I'm going to bring it, but I like you. You know what I'm saying? Um, all right. Now, Sandra was asking about submit. So, um, so the question now, so we've, we've gone through a lot. So what I'll try to do is just, just really try to paint a picture. Okay, so how, man, what is a, a, what is a, ch- a person who's a church member, how does that, it's different from a person who's not a church member. What does a, a member expect for another member? What, is a, what should members expect from their leadership? And now let's talk about what should leadership expect from their members, Okay. And, and, oh, in Scripture memory verse, obviously, it has to be Hebrews 13, 17, right? All right, it says this. Here's what we should expect from, our, from, uh, from you guys. 
right? Obeying and submitting, right? Verse 17, the beginning. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I want to pause there before we go on, and I want to provide some limits to obeying and submitting even before I define it because we have all these suppositions in our mind. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to actually just put some limits, all right, before you get all nervous. There's limits to obeying and submitting. Here are the limits. First and foremost, you're not to obey and submit to bad eldership. Okay, Acts 20.30 um, says, I put 29 up there too uh, for, for context's sake. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, right? These are leaders he's talking about, not just people, regular, regular cats. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them, right? There's some leadership, there's going to be, you know, people who are just um, bad news. Obviously, though, it's interesting when you see, when you hear, when you look at a test like this, you think, why would I ascribe and follow wolves and people who are out to be evil and dissentious, right? But that's the whole point. People are just as smart as us. It's hard to detect, right? They're not, they're not frothing at the mouth, you know, and, you know, eyes all bugged out. Like, they look just like you and me, and they talk just like you and me. And they read their Bibles just like you and me. And so he's trying to help us be sober in that. The reality is this. You don't respond and submit to bad eldership in that way. It's not me. It's what the scripture is saying. Um, you don't submit or obey leadership that's preaching another gospel. All right? Galatians 1, if someone's preaching another gospel, you don't follow that. That's another limit, right? It says in Galatians 1.8, right? If we're, even if we're an angel from heaven should be preached to you, a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Don't follow those cats, he's saying. Um, be weary of submitting. Um, it says if an elder is, has unrepentant sin. You have an elder who's sinning, doesn't want to repent, hard heart. That's a limit, guys. Look, he says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, which provides you a framework of how do you come alongside your elders if they're in sin. And then it says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Which, by the way, I, this is not, I propose to you that if I'm in sin, I fall into sin, or if one of our elders is in sin, there should be a, a public display of that and a public repentance. Yes, sis. Yeah, so for the sake of the, yeah, so my sister is basically saying, what, I, what do I mean by public display? Is that we, we, have a, we, we hold a public office, right? This is very public. And so we are caring for the whole flock. So if one of us is in unrepentant sin or is in sin, right, and, and, and it affects the church, then what we need to do as humble leaders and examples is we need to bring that up to the flock and we need to repent to the flock because these are the people that we're hurting. That's not just me. That's his point here. And the point is, what that does is it helps us all understand this is serious business. This is serious. We don't just, we don't, we don't do, we're not like the world. We don't go and clean it up off in the back somewhere. Right? God can handle his church, so. All right, so we have bad eldership, another gospel being preached, unrepentant sin, um, and, and the hard thing, you guys know, I love exegesis. I love going through books of the Bible. This is a hard, it's been a good series for me. It's been a hard one because there's so many lists and things like this. But I also want to be faithful to making this as clear as possible so we can understand what we need to be about. All right? Um, the fourth is spiritual abuse. All right? That's a limit. Right? If, you're, if your elder, your pastor is spiritually abusing the office, right? Look what it says in verse... Um, in verse 2 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising over, um, oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge of being examples to the flock. Right? So spiritual abuse, bullying, power, you know, put, placing your power over people, um, 
like that kind of posture, not a servant posture, but I'm the man, you better do what I say, that's kind of bizarre. That's domineering. He's saying, no, you, you treat these, you treat them gently. You, you care for them. Does that make sense, guys? So bad eldership. So these are, these are bad eldership, another gospel being preached, unrepentant sin we've seen in Scripture. We also see spiritual abuse. Uh, these, are, these are the limits. But here's the thing. These are limits, for, I'm sorry, but, they're, but, but not opportunities, okay? I say that because we're in a day and age where we want to find a reason why we don't need to obey somebody, all right? And so we, so you, so you can't assign these motives to people just so you don't have to obey, right? You mean to me, so I ain't saying I don't obey you. So, so these, these, are, these, are, these, are, these are safeguards. These are opportunities for you to wild out. All right, so make that really clear here, okay, guys? So let's talk about now, uh, my sister's asking, what does obey mean, submit? Let's go into that real quick. Um, this is hard, this part here, because the world teaches you that self is king, okay? All right, the world, that's what it teaches us. It, it te- our kids are going to hear that yourself, you're king, right? And, and actually, community is not highest, but, but autonomy is the highest law in our culture, right? You being free to do what you want to do. So now as we talk about this, this can be a little, a little queasy. Uh, and this makes sense why it's culturally um, outrageous, actually, because of, of our culture. So here's obey. Let's first talk about obey. Obey means um, uh, to be persuaded by. And so basically other words that you'll see in Scripture uh, that uses the same Greek word uh, is like uh, trust or to rely on, which are all basically the word, the same words like obey, okay? The word submit means t- to yield or to make room for or, or uh, retiring a seat, okay? So it's, uh, it's, it's you, you know, you're sitting here, and what you do, instead of saying, this is my seat, don't you see me sitting here, you're willing to get up. And you're willing to say, here, why don't you take my seat? That's the posture there, right? It's to make room for others versus saying, this is my space. You got that? Okay. So with that working knowledge of the definition, he's telling us that you, my, my expectation of you is that you obey and submit. Okay. Now, so what does that mean? How do you, what does that look like on the ground? Here's what it looks like on the ground. It seems to me, uh, when you look at the different verses, it means that the, the posture, it's, a, it's not, this is a, a hard issue, okay? So I want us to get this. The posture that the people of God should have toward their leadership should be trusting their leaders. You should have a tr- your posture. And hear me there. What, what I mean by posture? Your natural inclination, the first thing you should do, it should move toward trust, not suspicion. Okay? In our culture, we move toward suspicion. And I get it. I'm learning this. I'm in a public role. I'm your lead pastor. I get this. But it, 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 is, it is always, and we do, I do, I'm the king of assigning motive to people. Okay? So I get it. But I'm blown away, like, how we can even talk about, say I do a sermon. You know, instead of someone saying, hey, um, I think Pastor Eric's doctrine was off here. I think that's a fair statement. Because trust me, there's going to be many times where my doctrine is going to be off and then we as mad groups reshape and understand where the gospel fits in and praise the Lord for that. That's why we have mad groups. There's a difference between saying a factual that doctrine was off versus saying, do you think Eric wants everybody to think like this? Right? He has an agenda for this. Do you see the difference? One automatically assigns motive. One automatically says, I'm not trusting, I'm suspicious. One says, because this happened, this is what he's thinking. Where I would say, you can say this happened, but, but when you move toward trust, what he's thinking shouldn't be automatically negative. It's supposed to be positive. Do you see that? I told you the story before, and I always tell it because it's the best example I ever have in trust and suspicion. My father-in-law, you know, was missing, I mean, his papers rambled over. He thought I looked at his income tax check and said, you know, Eric looked at my income tax check. So I said, no, I didn't, dude. You know, I didn't look at your income tax check. I don't even know what I would do. Well, that's a whole nother story. 
So, so then he asked, he asked my wife, you know, he said, well, who's in the room, Sarah? She was like, I was in the room, right? And then I, had a, I was doing a wedding, so I had to iron my clothes in, there, in this office room, so that's where I ironed my clothes. He's like, Eric was, in the, Eric was in the room, and I was in the room, okay? And, and he said, well, you know, I think Eric's lying. I think Eric looked at my, my income tax uh, check. And she said, well, Dad, you're just not believing the best because you asked me, and I told you I didn't, and we're both in the room. You see that? We're both in a room. He asked us both. He totally believed his wife. I mean, his daughter didn't believe me. What's the difference? He trusted one. He didn't trust the other. Only difference. Right? You see that? He could have said, well, yep, Eric said he didn't. Sarah said he didn't. Maybe something else. Well, I don't know what happened. Maybe the wind blew. Maybe I came in here once and I'm getting old. And you, you know. But instead, Eric lying. That's suspicion. My wife's, my my daughter's telling the truth. That's trust. You see that, guys? We do that all the time. We do that all the time. We assign motive all the time. And guys, here's why I'm here's why I'm laboring on this one. The, the 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 your posture toward your leadership will affect us being on mission. I'm absolutely convinced we will not see disciples multiply. We will not see. Matt groups multiply and double when we continue to have suspicion versus trust. It won't happen. It's only when the Lord allows you and me to have a passion for unity and to say, I'm going to trust until I see the very things that they, here's the expectations, they don't meet them, I hold them accountable. You see that? Matt. Good question. Let's throw that to the body. What what brings suspicion? I say lack of trust, sin, arrogance, pride, uh, uh, past past sin happening to people. It could be it could be past sin, it could be your own issue. There's a ton of things that bring suspicion. So your guilt, your own baggage, right? And I, you know what? And I t- can I just, I can get street for a moment. That's so true, right? Like, like I, I'm absolutely convinced. Cats who, you know what? Cats who do a lot of dirt expect everybody else to be doing dirt. It's like you thinking I'm untrustworthy because you actually are. I'm serious, Right? Cats who all, right, the most arrogant people think everybody else is arrogant, right? And so we got to be very careful to say, hey, you know, like, here's my posture and, and really ask yourself, am I assigning motive here? And again, I'm the king of this, and I'm learning, Lord, allow me not to assign motive. Allow me not to paint the whole narrative for people. Allow me to say, here's what happened, and I don't know why they did it, and I want to learn to believe the best. Sandra? That's absolutely mine too. So Sandra's saying that one of the biggest for her is unforgiveness. So someone does something wrong, it's sinful, they've caught a sin, they've said, would you forgive me? And we're like, yup, right? And then, you know, two days later, we're like, mm-hmm. They talk to somebody else, they make a comment, yeah, you're still thinking like that. You, and you go there. I, that's huge for me, right? What does it look like for me to keep forgiving people? Right, and I and I think the key. I'm glad you brought that up, sis, because I think the key to it is first admitting that I'm harboring unforgiveness. Right, that there's some repentance that need to happen in our own souls first. But that's hard because then you're wrong. <laughs> right, then you're just wrong. Right, it's like right. But if we if we can mature ourselves, that's the Holy Spirit to give us the grace to say, man, I could be right, I could be wrong, but right now I do know in my heart I have unforgiveness right now, and that's why I'm thinking this. So, Lord, whether I'm right or wrong, I'm not the detective. I don't need to be detective here. This is your kingdom. Let me just believe the best. Let me ask for forgiveness and keep going down that road of having a passion for unity. 
and saying, if that means I got to ask for forgiveness, say the person's in the room and I got to ask for forgiveness 15 times, right? Me and the Lord, you see me in the corner like I'm schizophrenic, just having a conversation to the Lord. Whatever it takes for me to experience the freedom of making sure that I don't bring hindrance to what God wants to do, I think that's huge. Um, that's, that's a good word, sis. So, so I would say trusting leaders is, is huge. Uh, the posture also is supporting um, in attitudes and actions their goals. Right? I mean, that's, that's the thing. is like versus, you know, having a pool people, people are excited and wanting to be a part of. Right? Um, desire, they desire to imitate their faith. That there's a desire to say, okay, so I want to obey and submit. This is what I'm saying these, this text is meaning. The posture is like, I want to imitate their faith. That there is a happy, hear me here, there's a happy disposition um, when complying. You hear that? So, so, right, there's not begrudging, but it's like, I, my posture, I, I want to have joy in affirming what my leadership is saying. And, and, and I'm telling you, I get the verse because this would make me happy, right? I would have joy serving you. I really would. If I felt like, man, we, we, we pray about stuff, we, we work through stuff, and then we say, hey, guys, here's where we're going, and you guys are happy about it. Right, that would be really fun, and I and I and I want to pray we can get there. We can we can be that kind of body where we are giving life to each other. All right, so trusting leaders, supporting them, desiring to imitate their faith, having a happy disposition. Because here's the thing: what Sandra said is right. Uh, some of you guys, I have other leaders have sinned against you. Some of you guys or harboring stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with you, right? And the Lord is saying, we need to, you know, if there's things that, that I or someone else have done, man, I want you to call us to the carpet so that we can repent and that we can begin to begin that process of experiencing forgiveness and continual forgiveness so that we can move toward unity, so that we can be on mission. Um, here's, here's what we have for you guys. As we move on to next steps, so when you think of all that we've talked about, I want to say that's why people have membership. That's why people have a covenant, okay? Because we're saying you're expecting a lot from me. We're expecting a lot from you, right? We're expecting a lot from each other. And how do you do that unless you and I say we're committed to each other? And we all say, here's what we're committed to. Here's why we're committed to it. Here's the area we're committed to. We have to do that or we're going to run around crazy, So I'm hoping today you've seen it's a New Testament assumption. It only makes sense pragmatically. It only helps us and bring glory to God. Right, guys? Now, what I want to do is I don't know if we passed these out yet. Um, I want to get those passed out real quick. If you are are new here, um, if you're old here, you've already received the Discipleship Covenant and a MAC um, group structure. If you are new, we're going to give these out to you right now. And what I want to say is this. we have, uh, these are basically the covenants that we go by as a local church, right? We say, hey, here's what we want to be about when we talk about being a disciple in this local body. And here's what it looks like in our one-on-one times. Here's what, here's what it looks like in, in small group community. Um, I want you to look at that. You can give one to, if you, raise your hand if you have never received one. May I have one too so I can walk, walk people through it? Lee, let me get one. Thanks, bro. Um, that's what the first two are, so you don't think I'm, I don't want you to read that. All right. So what we say as a, as a, as a mad group covenant, we make it really clear what we want you to be about in discipleship. Then we talk about our mad group structure. So you, there's no questions about, um, what we want you to be about as far as being in our mad groups, right? So this is how a person, um, gets, becomes a member in our local body, Okay. Now, let me just encourage you on two new things. Notice the, t- the last two pages, guys. This is new for everybody. 
there's a discipleship self-assessment questions. Uh, some of you guys have gotten this if you're newly engaging MacAv right now, like Ethan and Sarah and some other crew members. I know my man Lincoln and, uh, and David and... Right, and what this is is just a discipleship self-assessment so that we can be making sure that people understand what we're about and can be clearly assessing if they want to lock arms with our local body, right, if they want to come and be a member, all right? And then secondly, we want all you guys to know as an elder a leadership team basically what the interest protocol is, okay? Basically, in a nutshell, of what does it look like for a person uh, to walk into um, not just Sunday service, because this is a smidgen of what we do, but as we're doing life, what does it look like for a person to be introduced into relationship um, all the way to membership in our local body? You see that, guys? You have from Welcome to Mac Ave, and that happens in our homes, at dinners, on the street, to Sunday service, all the way to, hey, I'm entering into discipleship relationship. I want you to take a look at these. Mac Avers, um, I want you to take a look at them so you just, you're more clear on what we're doing, okay? We used to have it where the leaders are always meeting with all the people in the beginning. That doesn't happen now. What I love is that we've liberated our laity. You guys are meeting and connecting with people, and that, can be, that begins a lot of the processes for us now. And then we move down toward intro to discipleship, evaluation fit, and we go all the way down to you being in discipleship. And then this here is a, just a list of questions that we think is really beneficial for the body. All right? So in a nutshell, if a person's saying, how do you become a member here? We say, well, first we kick it, right? We hang out, get to know each other, right? Um, through many dinners, and that doesn't stop. You, we're having dinners and hanging out, get to know each other's heart. Uh, we challenge you, right? We say, hey, so we don't, we, we, we're serious about membership. We, we take it seriously. That's how we challenge people. Right? Just like everybody else says, hey, do you want to, you know, people say I joined the church. We, we say, hey, well, we don't know what that means. Be, be, be in discipleship. We see that as being a disciple. Be in discipleship. Be training your faith. So we challenge you to get training your faith by walking, communicating, multiplying your faith. And then we say, hey, we're going to commit to doing life together. When people say, okay, cool, we say now we're going to do life in process and live a life motivated by grace and wrestle and bumble around and, and just figure out how to love each other and love Jesus. And we do it committed because we've now said we're part of a community. I'm a member. You see that? We kick it. We challenge. You commit to be a member, and then we say, let's do life. All right? One thing I want to add is I think we need to have a Mac Church covenant. I feel like the discipleship tells us how we do discipleship. I feel like it seems like the, the Mac group structure tells us how we do Mac group, right? We understand that. But we don't have things that tells us how a, a, a body member is to respond to church discipline. How a body member is to respond to each other. What are we expecting them to do? Read the Bible? What are we, I think we need, to, we need to have something that says, here's our Mac church covenant, that we say we're going to covenant between each other, between our leadership, right? I wonder if there's something we need that, that's really clear in that framework. So I'm going to be just letting you guys know that's something I'm thinking as your leader, um, one of your leaders, and I'm going to be presenting that to your other leaders when we have uh, our time of our elder training uh, actually this week. So so be praying for that, uh, and hopefully this helps you understand a little more of what we're doing and why we're doing it and what we're expecting of you and what you should be expecting of us um, as your leaders.